Yo, take it personal. You're checking out Take It Personal with my band. Yeah, yeah, y'all. Checking out the Take It Personal radio show. Yeah, yeah. It's your boy Farrell Mont. You already know what it is. Right now you're checking out the Take It Personal show. Nothing but the real hip-hop. Hip-hop. The way it should be. Yo, what's up? This is Cool Keith, a.k.a. Dr. Octagon. And you're checking out Take It Personal with my DJ 360. DJ 360. Cycle for that ass. Now I'm cool with my man. They playing nothing but that authentic classical boom bap shit. Check, check them out. Check them out. Check them out. Check it out. This is Marco Polo. Yo, check this out. This is Soul Brother Number One, Pete Rock. This is DJ Premier. You're live and direct to the speaker. And you're checking out. Take it personal. Take it personal. What up, though? This is Merce. This is DJ Muslim Cypher This is Dell the Funky Homo Sapien. You are checking out Take It Personal. And introducing in this corner, A-A-Rock. The one they call Aaron Wade. Aaron yeah, Wade. Aaron Wade. Aaron Wade. And over there. Roger the announcer, that's it. No, no frames, that's it. Roger the announcer. Take it personal. When my people spinning that fly shit, you heard? Hip hop, stay winning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's an exclusive interview with Hyro's own Dell the Funky Homo Sapien and Domino on Take It Personal Radio. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, two special guests. We have Domino and we have Dell from the Hyro crew. What up, guys? What's happening? Hey, what's going on? This is, uh, I don't know if you caught wind, but we did a, a, like a Hyro tribute, uh, a little... Well, when did we do it? About, about a year ago? About a year ago. We, but we recently summer, put it out. Summer 2017. Summer 2017. We put it out recently, and a lot of people listened to it. I mean, it was kind of uh, it was like a 45-minute uh, oh, to homage to, to, to you guys. So it, it's great talking to you, and, and there's so much we want to ask. So I want to I kind of get into it, and we'll start from the beginning. Uh, again, we have Dell and we have Domino uh, on the phone with us right now. So um, first things first. Dell, you started early on your first album, which to me is a classic, came out in 91. But before you dropped that, you did a lot. Uh, and, and, and you were writing for uh, the, the Lynch Mob, you were writing for Yo-Yo, and of course your cousin uh, Ice Cube. I don't know all behind the stories, but you had to write a lot of songs or did a lot that maybe the listeners aren't aware of. So like the Delinch Mob album came out in 92, which is a year after your debut. But I know you were an intricate part of writing for, um, you know, the Lynch Mob. Right. I guess. <laughs> well, even before that, you were you were really doing shit with with Jinx before there was even a lynch mob. And I really want to know if you have access to any of those old tapes, because uh, I would love to get my hands on some of that shit. Man, I think I think I got like some of them songs, but the same songs are floating around on the Internet, too. Oh, are they? Yeah. I didn't have many. It was maybe like five songs. You know? What Dell forgot is that I I, I remember the, the 90 minute tape that, that you had at your house uh, of all the songs, the demo songs with Jinx. And then I said, you know what? Let me hold this and keep it in safekeeping just so it for sure won't be good won't get lost or you won't dismiss it. So I do have a 90-minute tape along. That's what I love about you. You have always been the glue for the whole Hyro crew from the very, very beginning. And uh, that, that's that's the way it should be. I like that. Well, the thing is, is that I've never met anyone like Dell who kind of 
who's always thinking forward. So anything from the past, she has very little interest in. And and I'm like kind of like more of a person who looks back to the sounds of old music. And so I was like, man, that that tape that's on that shelf, like it just come up missing. I need to save this for posterity's sake. And so that's just my my personality. And so I, I, that's kind of why I took hold of it because I was scared that Dale might just say, eh, you know, I don't care about it and, and sweep it under the rug somewhere. Yeah, that's the thing that makes Dale great is he's always progressing, he's always thinking forward, you know, which is his strength in, 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 in the end. But you got to have someone to archive it. I mean, you you are, like, like Dre said, you're, you're the glue, you're the foundation of the Hyro crew. And while, you know, Dell is, is constantly doing something and always thinking forward, you are, are also a fan of hip-hop, so you can appreciate and put yourself in the shoes, like, in our shoes, where, I mean, we are um, in, in awe of someone like Dell's career, uh, and not just the Ice Cube writing, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, Dead Homies, yeah, uh, yeah Jackin' for Beef, like, that's cool and all, but, like, we're talking about, and, and I know I have you on the phone, Dell, but as I'm talking to Domino, we, we're talking about a guy who had arguably two back-to-back classic albums and, and that's not something that's very common in hip-hop but they're not just two classic albums they're they're two different sounding albums that kind of really helped revolutionize west coast hip-hop indie hip-hop later on so i you know i don't want to i don't want to jump too far ahead but i, I kind of wanted to capture the early era of dell you know the fact that your cousin's ice cube and I know for you, you know, you grew up with Cube. He he looked out for you. And then he, uh, again, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I know he was very much involved in your first album. I would say, I, I would say Jinx and DJ Pooh were mostly involved. You know what I'm saying? Cube was involved in other ways. In other ways. The deals. He was involved gotcha. more executively. This will go. This can't go. This could go. This can't go. This will work. This can't work. You know what I'm saying? You want Parliament to come in? We can make that happen. We'll be, we'll, you know what I'm saying? Like gotcha. more at the top. As far as far as the music is concerned, that was more Jinx, really. And then after Jinx, DJ Pooh. Me too. But they helped me refine it because I. They was just my seniors, basically, as far as production was concerned. It's funny you said that because I've always felt there was a a similar vibe, if you will, between I Wish My Brother George Was Here and Death Certificate. You know, like the first Cube album was strictly Bomb Squad. Like it was a different sound. But like you said, you had Pooh, you had Jinx, and, and, and uh, I, I don't know, uh, I think it was Rashid and Bobcat who make up the Boogeyman, right? If, I, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. And there was there was more of that, I don't want to say like P-Funk, but there was that more... West Coast sound. Yeah, it, it, it sounded like... If you go to your album and, and Death Certificate, although the subject matter is a little different, the sound sonically has uh, a very similar vibe to it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, but let, let me just say this off the bat, though. Cube is a huge Parliament fan, you know what I'm saying? As well as, as, well as me, but he's older than me. So before hip-hop was popping, that Parliament, the P, that was like hip-hop. Motherfuckers, you know what I'm saying? Like that—that's what it was. So that's what he was into, like hell. So it, it makes sense to me that he would want to go there. You know what I'm saying? He—he really—he really, he really kind of lived through that too with my shit. 
because I loved it just as much as he did. So that was a chance for him to fuck with it, just like it was for me. You know what I'm saying? Was there? Um, I know you were involved in the in the first album, Kill It Will, as well. But you weren't involved in the second album. Was that? Well, was that? The first yeah, album. Killer, Killer Will has tagging for beats on it. So, yeah, you're going to kill it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Dead Homie yeah. is on that. What, so. I, I believe yeah. you wrote. What did I do on Dead Homie, though? Didn't you do some writing lyrically? On Dead Homie? Yeah. You Maybe. Done, I don't remember. You've done so much. All this, shit, all this shit was so off the cuff, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. To the side it was just organic. A lot of shit I don't even remember, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I know Jack of the Beat. I was in there with Jinx fucking around with the beat, too. Like looping, like them loops that was just for Jack and for Beats. I think I might have hooked one of them loops. I don't remember because I was in the studio with Jinx while he's fucking around with it. And I think you just asked, you know, would you want to write the third verse real quick? He, he probably figured that I could write the shit hella fast, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, yeah. So, that, you know, a lot of shit just happened like that. Like if I'm around, I just fucking do something just to be involved with the shit. So it's nothing big to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it's your cousin and you probably didn't realize the magnitude of these two monumental releases, uh, America's Most and Death Certificate. Were you in... I, I know you weren't involved in the writing aspect, but were you in like the studio during the time of Death Certificate? You know what? I don't remember. You know what I'm saying? I don't really remember. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> Except... I will, I do know, and, and this is because something you told me before, Dell, is that the the uh, Lionel on arrival beat is Dell, mm. right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That is that is my beat. Yeah, he asked me for that beat. Straight to the bushes. Okay. He actually asked me for that beat. Right. And, and that extra was Khalid Muhammad talking with the, the Crusaders. Do, 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 You know, the black man, yeah. you, know, you know, like that. That, I think, is almost Oh, God. The documentarian speaks. I keep all that. I, all that. That's damn, good, man. You're like, you're like the guy from, uh, what's that Rick Rubin documentary? Uh, oh, Shangri-La, Shangri-La, yeah. Like the guy who has like the archives and he knows like everything that's ever like happened in in like Rick Rubin's life. Dom Dom's yeah. got it. Dom, Dom's got it down. Um, so look, I, did you realize um, when you dropped "I Wish My Brother George Was Here" that it was gonna have the success that it did, especially with uh, you know Mr. Davalina? Nobody ever knows. You know what I'm saying? Nobody ever knows it's going to be whatever it's going to be. I did know that it was good. Everybody around us loved it. You know what I'm saying? We was, we was around all type of hood motherfuckers. So I figured just from that, it was going to do pretty good because they pick you. You know what I'm saying? It's not like they're going to like anything that you throw out to them. Like, shit got to really be something. You know what I'm saying? So everybody dug it. So... I just figured from that it, it had to pop, but I wasn't really that concerned with it being that big. Like I was already doing what I wanted to do anyway. So at that point, I didn't even care how big it got. I knew it was big enough that I could keep doing the shit. You know what I'm saying? I, I didn't, I didn't really look that far into the future because I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? Sure. How old were you when uh, when that album came out? 
17, 18. So, like, that's the other thing I can't get over is you, even casual, you guys were very young when you dropped your, your first album. And you guys were, it seems like back then, artists were almost ahead of the time. Like, they they were more mature lyrically. Um, they just had a better grasp of, like, how to make a really good record. And that's that's crazy that you were that young. You know what? I think that we grew up faster. You know what I'm saying? It, it was. It wasn't. I don't want to say because everything's relative, right? But sure. I feel like I feel like in general, it was more at stake for us. I grew up hella fast. Like I had there's certain things I had to accept hella early. You know what I'm saying? Like racism. You know what I'm saying? Like like it would like you couldn't walk around the same way like you could walk around now back then. You know what I'm saying? Like there were certain things that weren't available to you as far as technology. So you had to be dedicated to making some shit if you wanted to make some shit. Like you couldn't just fuck around with it and make some shit like you know, with the technology you got today, you can kinda of fuck around with it and you know, hey, I kind of make beats too. I kind of, you know what I'm saying? I'm not, nothing against that because I love it myself. Because it used to be hella harder to do shit. You know oh, what I'm saying? Of course, of course. And the equipment was limited at that time. It was limited. I think the limitations too forced you to be more creative. Without a doubt. You know what I mean? Without a doubt. Now, speaking of Mr. Dabalina, I mean, the fact that you took that monkey's lift... A lot of people had issues trying to sample the monkeys, whether it was De La or, you know, a lot of samples didn't Did clear. Yeah. A lot of samples didn't clear, whether it was the turtles, the monkeys at that time. I mean, that oh, okay. that type of stuff. I'm, just, like the monkeys. I'm just saying, did you ever have issues sampling that? Not with the monkeys. Yeah. Matter of fact, when Dabalina came out, I noticed that it was a little wave of the monkeys coming back lightweight too. Well, we know that. We know that that's what we that's what the whole hip hop world does. But a lot of those groups either they're on board or they're not. So a lot of those labels just didn't get that. And uh, I, I was just I'm surprised that that you had no uh, feedback with that. Well, I think maybe it's because the monkeys kind of was not even a serious group in the first place. That might have been part of it. Another part might be that it wasn't a song per se anyway. It was like a, you know, them talking some nonsense. It was called Zilch, I think. Zilch. Mr. Davalina, Mr. Bob Davalina, Mr. Davalina, Mr. Bob Davalina. Zilch. China Clipper calling Alameda. China Clipper calling Alameda. Zilch. China Clipper calling Alameda. Self defense. Never mind the furthermore, the plea is self defense. Never mind the furthermore, the plea is self defense. It is of my opinion that the people are intending. It is of my opinion that the people are intending. It is of my opinion that the people are intending. It is of my opinion that the people are intending. Yeah, was that a random grab, or did Jinx get that? I mean, who, who's the one that kind of uh, peeped that out? Who peeped what out? Like, that particular sample, the Dabalina sample. Me. <laughs> Me. I used to love the monkeys. I used to, you know, the before, they, before you could have, before there was like these VHS and all that shit, I used to just run up to the TV with a fucking tape recorder and record the monkeys mm. off of, you know, off the TV and shit. That's how much I used to love the monkeys. So I, once I found a record laying around somewhere, I was like, oh my God, they got a record? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, was just, I bought a gang of their records. One of their records had that skit on it, Zilch. The Mr. Dabalina part just sounded funny. I used to just loop shit just because it would sound funny looped. Even the title that to that album, you know, Where's My Brother George? I mean, you know, Tell people where that was from. Most people don't really, really realize that was from an old cartoon skit. Yeah, I think it was a uh, Liberace. Liberace, from, uh, right? From like Bugs Bunny. Yeah, yeah, like a Bugs Bunny. You know, like a caricature of Liberace. 
I wish my brother George was here. You're a 70s, 80s baby, man. That's where I grew up, and, and that was uh, that was a pretty amazing time. And uh, the fact that you drew from, from that particular time in your life when you, you know, were, were that young, I mean, it just goes to show you were always a cerebral dude, and uh, you kind of, you know, transformed that into your music, and, and I respect that, you know? I, I could appreciate that, too. I, I, I wanted to be a cartoonist, so that had a lot to do with wow. it. But music, but music just always naturally. Actually, I was just attracted to music and sound in general. You know, I think I think cartoons had something to do with that too, because they always had some crazy soundtracks or some crazy ass sounds and shit going on in cartoons. You know, so it just developed into me producing, and I do sound. You know, I do sound production too. You know, I make little sound effects and shit. Just think, our Saturdays were all preoccupied by Cartoon Saturday, Creature Feature, whatever it was. Yeah. We were enamored by that TV, and it was kind of like, you know, before phones, before nonsense. We we really were raised on that type of thing, and you just can't replace it because it doesn't exist anymore, whether it's having your your favorite cereal in front of the television, that that time, that that cartoon came on. It was just a different time, different age, man, and I'm real happy that I, I got that, you know? Got to experience it. You know, my, my, my mind kind of think a little bit differently. I kind of agree with you, but I feel like it's, it's relative, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, you, still, you still have that, but it's not TV because TV is graduated to some other shit now. Like, you got a TV on your telephone now. You feel me? True. So, you know, that's a TV. Or you, or you make your own TV. They got YouTube. You can make your own TV, so to speak, your own TV show now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, at least people can get heard. The um, the progression from your first album to your second is, is kind of where you guys, I would say, came into your own when it came to Hyro. I mean, you guys dropped No Need for Alarm, which is my personal favorite of yours. You know, uh, 93 to Infinity. You had a crazy run, Fear Itself, and of course, uh, Extra Pro had a, a great album. The the title, I, I forget right yeah, now, but yeah, I, um, like like a ship. Yeah, oh, like a ship. I, I I was a huge fan of that, especially the production. So that that is kind of when the high row came into its own, and and that's when we started hearing uh, Domino. So I I, I want to say, and I'm, this is where you tell your story that. Uh, I know Dante is the one who I think introduced you, if Electra. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was at Electra at the time. Yep. So uh-huh. why don't you why don't you let the listeners know how um, you came into the Hyro crew and or basically met Dell and how that whole Hyro thing formed? Because not many people realize. I, I mean, I certainly do that. You are the, you know, like the backbone, the foundation of the Hyro. I mean, whether it's from online, the Emporium, uh, uh, the in-house production. I mean, you you have your hands involved in everything. And um, I don't know if you get enough credit uh, and accolades uh, over the years because you've you've certainly been a part of many, many classics that you guys have put out. Well, I used to rent out uh, the back room. It used to be like the storeroom. But it was like a studio apartment behind the, this record store called Groove Merchant Records. But um, and so Dante Roth would come in there, and there was a lot of people that would come in there because at the time it was one of the few, um, one of the few record stores that catered to kind of soul, funk, jazz records mostly. You know, where 
back in the day, you know, back then, this is like, you know, this, at this point, it's like 89, 90, probably 1990. At that point, most most music record stores would have like, you know, their classical section and their pop section. Well, this one pretty much only had soul jazz song. And so, obviously, good digging was, spot. Uh, yeah, it was a great digging spot. Like, it's all that key rock and there's different people in there. But anyway, because they used to have this, this convention, the gathering convention in San Francisco, and so everyone would come to town, and then, you know, that was... And so, so basically, I, 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 the owner told Dante Ross, Dante Ross was in there, the owner told him about me, and he said, oh, in the back, you know, make beats or whatever, and then, you know, the Dante pretty much dismissed it, I'm sure. But then I, I we were introduced, and we started talking, and we started to realize we had a lot of a lot in common as far as the type of record that we like. We bonded over the Nightlighter, which, which he used for on the on the brand Nubian record. And so we bonded on, on the Nightlighter in particular, but you know, we had a lot of common. I played him some beats, he liked it. And he would come back to town here and there because his dad lived in San Francisco as well. And so then, I don't know how long we had been hanging out, but basically he said, you know, man, I really like the beats, but I'm gonna help you. He goes, I just signed this dude. Ice Cube's cousin, and he lives in Oakland. He has a whole crew of guys, and, and these guys connect. You know, they'll probably like this stuff. And so I assume he told Dell about me, and then I called Dell and somehow got him on the phone. And you know, we talked, and then Dell and A Plus took part. I lived in San Francisco at the time, and basically came to my house, and then we were vibing, and then. You know, I was playing in peace, they were rhyming, and then, you know, basically all clicked. They liked what I and I was loving what I heard from them. And then, you know, we hung out that day, and then, you know, as they say, the rest of history, I ended up coming out to Oakland. Um, and, hold on, and, hold on a second. I'll be back. I'll be right back, man. This cat is begging out here. I'll be right back. We <laughs> keep talking about you. <laughs> and so, so basically, so bad, yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, so we connected, and then, you know, he introduced me to everyone else. And I was like, wow, all these dudes are really dope, and they're really enthusiastic, and like my beats, and so then that's kind of how it happened. Was that the first time you met them, being a San Francisco dude, and they were all, you know, pretty much from the Oakland area? Yeah, I, I remember them. I remember anyone until Dante mentioned them, and so, so I went and met them. He, or he, they came to my house. And then that was, yeah, that was the first time I met them. And then when I went to Oakland, well, they all came over to Dell's house. And then, and then that was the first time I had met all them girls, too. And I was playing beats, and they were rapping. And then that's kind of how it happened. Mm. And then I started doing demos, with mainly casual at first, because casual, uh, casual just was more aggressive. Like, he used to call me a lot. You know, when I'd be home, like, you know, I'd go out there, but then... When I was at home, he would call me and, and we would, I'd play him beats over the phone. He'd be like, oh, you know, you're going to do my whole album. You know, like, right. oh, that and what that. And so I did a lot of his demos. And then um, the first thing that I ever did production-wise was I went to the studio. I actually booked the studio when Dell made eye examination, right? And, and we booked a spot in San Francisco and I went in there with my sample too and just, you know, I don't know what the plan was, but this, 
They all had demo eye examination originally, and I basically added things to what he had did. So he he's rightly got produ- producer credit, but that was like my first foot in the water of production. I never had real friends till now. I never had to steal ends, cause that's foul. I walk the streets with a baseball bat, feeling secure. But I try not to incite fights that's immature. Actions that come back to haunt. I work hard to get the things that I want and never flaunt. Never post what the most guys post high. I keep my focus towards the ground and I pound. Any brother who's my ace to my face. Even if he snakes on the under, I try not to wonder. Training my brain with mental anguish. Strangers rather eerie clearly. Just a whim, I just a him. No examination. I added like the the woman talking in the hook and the little drum loop, uh, you know, a little drum roll here and there. I, I added like a drum break at the start of the second verse. And then at the end, it just ends and then there's like a little groove that comes on. I was, that was me too. You slowly sprinkled your way in. Yeah, it was just like, oh, you know, I'm down and, and like I'm here and I'm already oh, yeah, here. Really. What if I added this? You know what I'm saying? And so I basically that was my first real, you know, kind of hand in production. And then and then and then after that it was just, you know, uh, you know, like I said, doing demos with Casual and I did some with the souls. And Dell, you know, when I met Dell, um, his first album was already done. It wasn't out yet, but it was done. And so I didn't really work with Dell until later on when he was working on the second album. And by that time, I was well and, you know, kind of mixed up with everybody because I was already doing demos for Souls and Casual and Tech Love and, and everybody. And then when Dell started the second album, that's when I started when you did um Mio Mayo off the uh, fear itself was that something you had done with cash or that that was a beat you had laying around or you previously had and gave it to him and he liked it that was that was not a song that was demo that was a song that I made when we were making fear itself like I don't remember like if I, I don't think I made it live in the studio, but I, that was a beat that I made. Um, you know, that was a beat I made when we were making that record. And so, like, for, so like for instance, like songs like "Follow the Funk" and "Losing the End," and maybe one or two others I did with him. We demoed, you know. Um, but like, but like, Neil Mile wasn't one of those ones. That was one of the ones that came later once he started. Once he got signed and we started recording, that's when I made that. The coming of the new overlord. I, I be the boy within the man. So why try? I never need it, cop. I never want it, cop. I feel I exceeded the skills need. I'm rough with the stuff I love, love they got, but they not the shot. I got the proof, aloof type fella. I love a guy. How much did you do off here itself? I did the majority of it. I want to say I did like seven songs. I did uh, Losing the End. I did Thoughts of the Thoughtful. I did Got It Like That. I did Beat Thousand. I did... Who did Who's It On? The original beat was made by Casual, right? And then when it was... And, and they made it, it was a demo of that song. And then... And then when we went to when we went to make the record, everyone really wanted to like that song and wanted to use it. And then Casual couldn't find the disc, and so I went in and I recreated it. And it was a little faster tempo. I added different drums, that little little breakdown part when Dell is rapping. 
like all that was me. And so on the record, I produced it, but the original beat, meaning the main baseline, right. was something that Casual had hooked previously. The version on the record was 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 done by me, but credit through to Casual because he had the kind of like the foundation for the beat at least with the loop established and then I just came in and remade it added different things I'm coming fast and I'm a state dude I hate crews front that shit kid I make you kneel bow when I reveal real style electrocuting we wreck the cute scene rapping adapting because the sack spend his lifetime trying to bite mine it's quite funny words and the money that they say I'm getting my true tradition you superficial that particular track for me was like one of the strongest on that particular album. It, it just represented Hyro on every level before Hyro was even like what it was. Uh, the horns, it was just, man, that fucking track hits. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I mean, the thing about that hook, I mean, it's funny that we're talking about this because I just, yesterday, listen to some podcast where I did an interview about this record it's so it's kind of fresh in my mind right now is that that hook was something that they used to say when they used to cipher a freestyle at Dale's house or somewhere and they used to be like just casting in and that's kind of where that hook mm. hook derives from so that song really based on that hook is, is a good kind of example of the sessions that they used to do at Dale's house mainly in his room you know busting freestyling or whatever and so I, I'd say that's an accurate description that I, that it is a very kind of like a, a good representation and I'd say that's true yeah you also did the uh, the title track to Dell's second album, No Need for Alarm, which is one of the best cuts off the album. What was like the game plan? Like this was like, hey, we're doing this album and this is going to kind of pave the way for the whole Hyro movement. I had a lot of problems at the time, so I don't know. I, that definitely wasn't on my mind. But um, Sophia Chang actually helped a lot with that record. Because what I had, I let her hear it. And she really liked it. So she really was like, man, you should go ahead and do this, man. Just for our listeners, Sophia Chang was from Jive Records, right? Yeah, she wasn't She wasn't his A&R, but casuals. she was close to all of us. I thought she was Casuals A&R, wasn't she? And, and, and Souls. And for those that don't know, Sophia Chang is very much involved with the Wu. They, I think she was uh, the manager. But so, so okay, so it wasn't like a premeditated thing. Like this is going to help open the, the the movement, to start the movement for the Hyro. But it just happened to be the one that really did it. I know Burnt was kind of like where we all heard the collective, and then you had, like I said, a, a crazy run. You had. You had Kaz, you had Extra Pro, you had the 93 until, and, and all those cats were, on, I think, on Jive and you were on Electra. But it just seemed very cohesive. Like you kept dropping one after the other after the other. And it was your album in particular um, that seemed to set it off. Let me make this clear so that anybody that's listening to this or whatever will understand this. Like, we already kind of was popping before all that shit even happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, like in our neighborhoods and shit, and around here in the Bay Area, we already was popping. We already was setting off trends and shit already. And then from there, it just continued. So it might seem cohesive, because it, yeah, it was cohesive. But we had already been doing that for so long. I think, I think from my perspective, the start of it was 
was shown on the B-side because they was really doing that sound before Wild Dale's first album was out. In fact, I wasn't around at the time, but I remember the talk was kind of like, there was a lot of people that was knew what Dale was doing before. was kind of disappointed at, at the, at, I wish my brother George was here because it wasn't really what he was normally doing on his own. Mm-hmm. And so, and so Dale, Cube used to let Dale do what he wanted on the B-sides and which is why a lot of the B-sides had more of the sound that eventually came on that second album as the Sold and, and Gowser records. The Burns and the Eye Examination and the Undisputed Champs, all those songs, you know, it was basically, all right, well, Dale, Dale, I remember Dale saying like, okay, you know, the, the album is what the album is, but now this is my chance to show, to be able to do what I really want to do without like, direct. And so, that. I think that you know it's what they're saying is accurate is that basically that that would already was happening. It was just it wasn't it wasn't really you could, didn't really see it on the album. I wish my brother George was here at least as far as that particular sound. And so I think that the B sides were there a little bit. There a little. Bit. It was there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, certainly, certainly, it was there. And and I'm not dissing the first album. I think the first album was great. You know what I'm saying? But it, I think the difference in sound happened because on his second album, Chew basically let him, you know, you know, relinquish the kind of control. And then Dell was doing what he wanted to do at the same time. We was all together. You know, to me, I think that the first, the '93 to Infinity, Fear Itself, and and um, Dell's second album, No Me for Alarm, were very similar to them old jazz records. Mm-hmm. Where like. You know, basically they're all made together at the, like the CPI record, where it's like, okay, yep. Bob James's album has Super all Long the artists, Blue, yeah. and it has Idris Muhammad on drums. This one's and on it has, bass. Uh, right, and then now we're going to do the Idris Muhammad record, but it has Bob James on keys, and it's like the same players, oh, but it's just a different leader. And so I, those records were all done at the same time in the same studio, you know, and they were all kind of interchangeable. And in fact, a lot of the studio time that in this series was Dell's time that we were using or vice versa, because maybe Dell did all that he wanted to do at that day and he had a lockout. And so then Casual would start doing some stuff. And so that's how those that's why those records sound like kind of all the same and the same sound because they literally were all done together at the same time we were all there present at each other's sessions and not only that at that particular time remixes were real remixes I mean B-sides were something where you could showcase and it wasn't like a slight difference it was a real difference and they don't they don't understand that at this particular time in music you know no but but that's true though like because you couldn't really you know what what it is now I would look at SoundCloud or something like that and seeing like the B-side but those but are people who whatever are, the fuck you want yeah, but if you on a label they're not gonna let you do whatever never. the fuck you want because they don't believe in that shit mm-hmm. that's true man as a hip hop fan purist like the no need for alarm to me is, 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 is as good as it gets but I know Cube didn't feel the same way maybe from because it wasn't um Commercially, commercially viable. yeah, viable. And I, I think he just thought that he just thought that well, he just thought that a lot of people would not get into it, and he was right. You know what I'm saying? If I played that album to the same the same cats that was sitting around listening to my first album when I recorded it, they would have been like, 
some weirdo shit. Yeah, but Dell, you got to remember at that particular time, we, we there was a whole movement going on. Malcolm X was real strong. It was very political. I mean, what I appreciated because I was a hip hop fan from the very beginning of it all. You you went against the grain and you didn't jump on bandwagons and you weren't doing the shit that appealed to a Martin Lawrence crowd or, you know, college uh, urban crowds at that particular time. It was a very political point. It was different, man. So what you were doing was you were you were bringing different listeners into the realm of hip hop. And not a lot of people understand that. But the real hip hop heads who get it do. I mean, you were you were definitely bringing people down a different lane. That's true. I, I agree with you. But at the same time, I wasn't opposed to the other shit neither. Of course not. How could you be opposed to P.E.? Well, How could you be opposed yeah. to what was going on? I mean, it was amazing. Some people was like, fuck all that shit. I only fuck with the underground shit. Some people was like that. I wasn't, though. Yeah, but that that is kind of what made you. So, so here's the thing. I think there are certain groups out there, like Tribe, that have, has basically allowed to bring in a whole different audience. You on the West Coast have done the same exact thing. I mean, you were able to capture a different demographic than than those that were listening to like maybe Death Certificate. I mean, you you tapped into the skater community, which is very, very prominent out in, in your, your neck of the woods as well as- Just counterculture in you general. You resonated with a lot of people and- yeah, I exactly, there you go. You, you, there you go, you said counterculture in general. He hit it on the nose. You captured a, a whole new audience. You know, the people that watched kids are listening to Dell. You know what I'm saying? Like Dell, it wasn't just a regional cat. He suddenly now made this music that allowed other people from all over to to get into it, which helped, in my eyes, really start and revolutionize the whole uh, Hyro movement. But not only the not only the people who were listening to kids, but kids who were into Black Flag, kids who were into of course into right. into real Fishbone. I mean, that was a whole Dead Milkman. They they got it. It's like the Chili Peppers, hip hop, all that stuff at that particular time. I mean, you were you were bringing people who understood fresh ideas, different things, and that's what I've always applauded about your career, brother. Seriously. Well, I always, you know, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that, man. Because, I, you know, I I, you know, I know there's a lot of people that feel the first time with a better record. And, and one of the things, and I, and, I, and I can even agree with that to a certain certain degree, but the thing about the second record and, and whether or not it was as commercial, commercially successful as his first album, I feel that it is, that Dell's longevity was established with that record to where, you know, I think that if he would have continued along doing, uh, you know, the, the, I think that there was a chance that he wouldn't have caught a progressive audience that basically championed him for all oh, okay, that's good, but good record. No, but I think that the record, the second album really springboarded him for the long, for the duration, where people were like, wow, like, the shit that he's picking, these guys are picking, you know, is, is next level. And, and I think when you do something like that, it's a different type of thing. He was younger when he made his first album. Dell, you, you even said it. You, you were, what, 17, 18 when you made the first album? In age, yeah. Yeah. In so. my mind. 45 so. <laughs> but it shows like you you feel it you sound more comfortable and you have more carte blanche on on no need for alarm which i think is why it just feels like a more like more of an album that you are behind and had control of because obviously 
you certainly did have more control of. You didn't have the Boogeyman on this album. It's a different feel. I mean, even the cover. I mean, that's probably one of the, the greatest album covers of all time. You have like a Marvel comic kind of looking, you know, cover on here. And you don't even need to listen to the album, but you see the cover and you're like, shit, that, that's pretty dope. I, I designed that cover, though. I designed it That little boom box with that CD in there? What, what, was it a, like, what did you, yeah, yeah like comic? I, I, I ran that photo shoot, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, like I said, it's one of the most iconic covers. That and I think uh, Midnight Marauders, which ironically you you're on the Midnight Marauders cover. How did that come about? Was that just because of Jive and 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 Souls and whatnot? Yeah, basically. Yeah, you know him. I I know the way that I knew about it was was that um, you know they Tim and Chip are cool, but. But Jive basically hit me about everyone being on it. Mm-hmm. And basically, I, I went to, we just were in New York and we all went to like a uh, photo studio and they just yeah. got shot. But I'm sure like Tribe, I'm sure they had specific people that they wanted, but I know that that Souls being on it in casual because their records, I don't even think they were out yet, or they weren't. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that the soul, but they, so they weren't really established like a lot of other people on that picture, but that was because of Jive. I think Jive basically made sure that the souls and cows were on them. Dell and Chip knew each other and were cool, so that's probably more Chip saying, you know, him had his call. I'm going to do a parallel real quick, Dell. I just want to ask you a quick question. Was the mushroom experience with Q-Tip going to Fishbone Studio and the Beastie Boys Studio, was that still the wildest story you've ever had? And can you go into a little bit of how, like, the Beastie Boys vibe was at that particular session? Can you, like, let our listeners know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm still bugged out by that. And the fact that you were on that cover and I'm bringing Q-Tip into this, can you kind of explain what the Q-Tip mushroom experience was all about? Um... Basically, that's kind of where we, what page we was on, because whether it was from our time or from the 60s or whatever, you know what I'm saying? We just was into counterculture, period. So he had some access to some mushrooms. He happened to be in L.A. when I was out there. Because I had already, I already fooled with him. I think I fooled with the Jungle Brothers. You know what I'm saying? The Jungle Brothers happened to be up at Fishbone Studio doing a boning in the boneyard recently. So, Chip had been over there, I guess, with the JBs, and he was like, you know, you want to try some mushrooms, you know what I'm saying? It, whatever our conversation was, it ended up there. And I was like, okay, fuck it, you know what I'm saying? So, I don't know what happened after that. I, I kind of remember him, maybe he was at his, maybe he was at his uh, hotel room or something, maybe he was at mine. We got like a pot of something and boiled them or some shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's how they were invested. You feel me? So he he got them from Fishbone, I believe. You know what I'm saying? So somehow we ended up at Fishbone Studio, and they was watching the Jane Kennedy, uh, uh, you know, the porn, porn revenge tape or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That 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 was out around that time, VHS, and I'm like. It ain't like it is today where that shit would just be instantly up on the internet or some shit. This was like... Bootleg, underground. Yeah. Like, uh, for the dime body. Yeah. I was like, how how do you guys have this? Like, it's the first thing I see when I walk in that studio. I'm like, how the hell do you guys even own this? (laughs) So somehow from there, we ended up at the Beastie Boys studio. And really, 
they, uh, I think Mike, uh, I think it was only Mike D there. You know, maybe Yao was there. I'm not sure. But um, Tip was basically there doing, it sounded like he was doing a, uh, what's that? The Can I Kick It remix. Oh, okay. I think he was working on that there. He was just fooling around with the SD there, just really into it. What part of L.A. was that? I don't even know, man. I'm sure it was like, you know, around where the mall is and shit like that, Hollywood, some shit like so that. So proper. You know what I'm saying? It couldn't have been in South Central. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, I doubt it was there. I'm, I'm thinking more around the Hollywood area. I don't even know LA back here to even be trying to say it, but I, I don't think it was South Central. Weren't you guys vibing on records and shit? Yeah, a little bit, but it was more, it was more Q-Tip was in there like, with, with that um, SD. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was tripping. I was tripping my balls off. You know what I mean? So I'm just walking around. I don't even fucking remember half of it. I just, I remember I went to the bathroom and was stuck in the bathroom for hella long. Scared, like thinking it was like a monster or something in there. So Mike D came downstairs and he seen me and was like, man, what's up, man? And I'm like, man, I, I admitted to him basically that I was hella high on mushrooms and I don't know if they knew or not. So I just admitted that, and I was like, man, I'm in the bathroom. I'm thinking I see it. And he like, man, you just need something to eat, man. And then he took me to um, 7-Eleven up the street and got me some milk and some fucking uh, fruit boots. And it was like, here, man, you just need to put something on your stomach. And I was like, okay. Went back to the studio, ate the fucking fruit loops. I was good. You know, I was good just because somebody had felt me and like, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? God, talk to, talk to me and shit. Well, brought me back to reality. They were always counterculture dudes and especially Mike with uh, Extra Large at the time. I mean, you know, they were on some next level shit and a lot, not a lot of people got that at that particular time. It took a while for people to understand that the Beasties were on some other shit. So, you know, that was, I got it. Though. I got it though. Like when they started playing their instruments and shit, yeah. I got that. Cause I was like, damn, cause they started out as a punk band anyway. So it, it makes sense that they would go back to that and add that to their repertoire. Of course. Beastie Boys is one of the greatest in the, in the world. Isn't to that me, crazy you know what I'm where it's at? Rest you know? Beastie out. You know what I'm saying? I love, I still love the Beastie Boys. Mike B, Ad Rock, and my dudes, man. It's crazy where it started to where it ended up. I mean, as musical uh, you know, aficionados, people who love kind of what we do, y- you know, more people understand, like you can go back to some of their older records. And I don't mean like the first or second record. I mean, like later on, whether it was sabotage, I mean, these were real funk songs that they took from and people never knew that. And they replayed shit and they were just on a whole new level. The dust brothers kind of reinvented how to make music and I know D Domino, you understand where I'm coming from with all that. I mean, they were on digging real shit when no one really got it at that point. I think I, I think a lot of people got it, but it was still like it still was like niche. It wasn't like it wasn't like oversaturated yet. Yeah. You, you gotta understand it's coming from a time where it's shit actually. These records that we draw from, there was a time that, that was shit. You know what I'm saying? So it just kind of like faded out of style for a while. And then we brought it back. Was this around the time that you guys recorded the Undisputed Champs when you were fucking with the with Tip out there? 
Y'all niggas know I got lyrics out the anal And any move that you make could be fatal The poet that shows it and some of y'all niggas blow it When you rap the mic and you can't recite You're weak Yo, that gets me irate when you can't debate yep. But wait, y'all niggas think that I'm your running mate? Nah, nah fuck that, cause when I get the baton, I'm gone All around the track like a running maniac I was fucking high as hell when I did that shit That was high as Yeah, oh my god The Undisputed Chance was, was recorded a lot later A lot later And I'll tell you I'll tell you this that night Um Cause what The, the time that Dell's talking Ricky about Ricky Powell was there At the studio Ricky Powell was Nice there. Taking pictures Yeah And Buster Ron Domino You were the babysitter Of the crew the story that he's telling was way before this. When, the night that they made Industry to Chance was the night of the Midnight Marauders uh, record release party. And it might have been on my birthday. I think it was November 9th. Or maybe it was November 8th. It might have been the day before my birthday. But I remember this, this was what, 1993. 1993. And it was the same night. And Bill was on. Where were you on? Drinking some concoction of three beers at giving you, which was what? It was it was fucking St. Ives or it was two forty with half the forty drank out of it, Ugh. orange juice Jesus. and fucking uh Kalula. Oh Kalua. And so basically two of those. And I think I was on mescaline tab too. That's it. So he's going, he's stopping out in the party. The party was packed. You know what I'm saying? He's stopping out in the party. And like literally, the funny thing that I always remember at the night is that <laughs> it was so packed that the stairway was like barely move on the stairway. On the stairway. And everyone's kind of like together packed. And I remember Dell being on the outside, kind of like surfing down. The, the stairway like kind of with his back up against all these people but kind of like just kind of like you know like kind of sliding down on big people laughing and you know like laughing <laughs> literally body what do they call it you know like you know it is when somebody jumps in the crowd and everybody like you know pulls you up but he was doing it against all the people standing up on the stairway he was just laughing <laughs> <laughs> and, and anyway <laughs> and so it was just crazy and then I guess him and I remember him and Chip went to Tom King Studios afterwards and if you, Ricky Powell does have a picture in his book of, 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 of a picture of I think it's Buster Rhymes and and Dell that of that of that night and and at that session and so the next yep. day the next day right we're, we're doing BET um, you know I don't know what's that with the lady a uh, video LP yeah, or one of those shows and so with with and all girls yeah yeah he was, I forgot her name but anyway. Yeah, right. Just, and so basically, I was I ended up I was with the souls and casuals, and so we met there, there and there. And so we get there, and I remember Dell a limo pulls up, and Dell and he passed out in the back, and he passed out from the back of the fucking, and he has a cassette with him. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, man, like I, you know, he doesn't really remember much, and. 
we literally, he literally plays he plays us the song and his whole verse you know Tip plays does his verse and Pep does his verse and then Dell's whole verse is literally like blabbering like like kind of rapid but kind of like like almost incoherent you know what I'm saying and, and I just I had my time Huh? <laughs> I was ahead of my time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He was, he was ahead of his mother. time. Exactly. And literally, like, like we were laughing, and he, he was like, "Man, I don't even remember recording that," you know. And then ultimately, we went home. He went home, and then we redid it. But, but <laughs> I just that's that's what I remember about that night. That you know, that night with Q-Tip and them. You know, I didn't remember the studio one, but I remember the aftermath of what came out of it. That's the first time Buster Rhymes has ever heard my beats. Because I was going through like a little disc box of beats, playing them. Mm-hmm. And Buster Rhymes mm-hmm. was like, damn, you made these beats, God? Damn, this shit is dope. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't remember I was juiced because Buster Rhymes was like, man, I didn't know you had beats like this. Like, okay. It like put me in a new like realm to him. You're like the Winston Wolf Domino of, of the high rope. He seems like you clean up a lot of messes. You remember everything. You put things together. Yeah. You make it happen. Um, right, right. He's older than exactly. he didn't do drugs. You feel me? <laughs> yeah, I was a little older. And yeah, exactly. I was, I was older and I, and I didn't drink and smoke. So that, that kind of has a lot to do with it. I think it has everything to do with it. Well, the next phase I want to get into is, um, is with you of Automator. And I believe... Domino, you're the one who actually initiated that because you're the one who had the relationship with Dan uh, from I yeah. guess, back in the day in San Fran. So why don't you tell us about a the connection, how you made that happen, and and Dell, let us know, let the listeners know, um, you know that experience of making yet another classic Deltron and, and kind of going in that direction. Well, well, you know, interesting enough, I didn't know Dan yet, and when I when I met Dan is um, I got a call about that Prince Paul wanted Dell to go to get on this handsome boy modeling record, right? And which was a record with Dan, of course. And they both came to our attorney's house and with like a full eight or eight track to digital recorder and recorded the first of the song Magnetizing, which was from the first Anthony Boy Mollins record, um, in in the, in the closet. And so basically, I hadn't met Dan before, but we never hung out or anything, right? And so after that night, I realized that my mother lived down the street from Dan. And so I'm like, oh, Tim, you know, you live in Durham Heights. My mom lives over there. So, so after that, me and him started hanging out a lot, right? Because we lived so close to each other. And, oh, you know, I'm still my mom, but I would be over there quite a bit. And so in the meantime, like we were doing, I was, you know, still doing stuff with Dell. Dell did this song for this compilation called, it was a it was a skateboard magazine. I think it was Strength Magazine. I don't remember the name of the compilation, but basically it had a song that Dell did. We did a song for it called Cyberpunk, right? And it's very underrated. It's a really dope song that not a lot of people know about because it was only on that, and I think ultimately we might have put it on one of the Hyro Overtime compilations later on. But this was originally on this in this magazine compilation. And so I really loved it. I thought it was great. And one night I was hanging out with Dan at Mel's Diner on, <laughs> of all places, on, uh, on Lombard Street. 
and and if you're from San Jose, you know, it basically is like a, a kind of a nose. Anyway, we're sitting in the parking lot, and I think we're with LP, and and and, and we were going to go to the strip club. But while we're waiting on LP and some of work uh, to finish their food, I say, yo, yo, peep this song that Dell did. It's real dope. And I played it for him, and Dan was like, shit. And now, to anyone that just knows the song, to listen to the song, pretty much a Deltron song. It's about it's a futuristic song about cyberpunk. Cyberpunk, Megadel, ultraviolence what I adjust. Future phenomena, you need to try it once. Cyberpunk, Megadel, ultraviolence what I adjust. Future phenomena, you need to try it once. Megadel, cyberpunk technology, such as cyberbots. Check the rhymes, I can talk private stock. While you jock, I said I'm ultra security. For MC intelligence who want to murder me. It's like the third degree, the way I question myself. I work on cybernetics as a form of vanity. To protect my circuitry, I stay under the canopy. I sit with special chips to finish my fantasy. To become a bionic commando, monitor scandals. Solar panels reflect energy, enters me. Is this energy in the 21st century, soldering temporarily. Fusible alloys like musical cowboys. And, and I remember asking, man, this is dope, man. He goes, I want to do an album with Dell like this. And I'm like, all right, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it, you know? And so next thing you know, you know, they got together and, and, and they did that record, you know? And that's kind of, but that song is kind of, was the song that I played in that kind of springboarded, like, the idea of them doing a record together. Because, and, and, and it, so that song is kind of like the, the prequel of Deltron in a way. And that's kind of how it happened. I mean, and then after I said it, and then just, I mean, they used to go to Dan's studio in the city, and they just started working on it. Del, did you uh, did you realize how much chemistry you, you had with Automator when you got together, or it was it a, a progression? Oh man, I'm such a shit. Oh, I'm such a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, so, can we do that without <laughs> without the speakers, so just so we can hear it a little clearer? <laughs> He said, he said he's taking a shit. Hold on. Oh, my nice. God. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait. We'll, we'll, <laughs> Maybe you don't want it any clearer. Yeah, no, we're good. Uh, I, I couldn't make out what he said. Yeah. I mean, oh, shit. That's what I see. I, no pun like you, Like you, Domino, I know how I have to fucking edit everything. <laughs> and I'm like, there you go, work. Oh, my God. I can only imagine the stories that Domino got. It's all right. I'm sitting, here, I'm sitting here in Georgia eating popcorn. Uh, Dell's taking a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Domino, man, you could probably write a book of all the stories you have with uh, with souls on tour when they were young. No I mean, drinks, no chasers, geez. and just fucking drop dime. Like I said, you don't get enough credit, not just for the production, but just keeping it together, keeping it fucking together. It's it's not easy, dude. Yeah, man. You know, it was it, it has its bump, but yeah, I mean, you know. I guess I was a glue in a lot of ways in some respect. Not only that, you're like, you're the true hip-hop head. And then you got people yeah. like Dell who are outside of the box, kind of doing his own thing. You got Souls who are on a different level. I mean, you just kind of keep it all flowing. You keep like, you know, like when the pool pump turns on and the water just always is like moving. You're that. Yeah, uh, well, I appreciate that. Seriously, you know, I, I am a true head. I realize now that you know, you know like social media and everyone talking about hip hop all the time. I realize, and I know a lot more than than most of these motherfuckers. You know, and, and, and you know, and so I, you know, I mean, I, I'm a student, man. You know, like I, you know, I've, I've been in the hip hop since the beginning, and I always was like super in it. Like I'm a nerd. Like I want to know. 
I'm still trying to know why the fuck, you know, uh, the story behind the message and why the why Duke Booty is the, is the, is rapping with Melly Mel and not any of the other serious five. Other than the fact that I heard because they didn't show, they didn't want to, they didn't want to be on the song, but. You know, like suddenly there's this other rapper. What's the story behind how he came to do it on the message? It's almost like yeah. this elephant in the room on the message. And so I know things like that that turn the stories behind all the plastic and how records are made and who was the inspiration for this. And, you know, all that shit is intriguing to me. Oh, Dell's back. Del, yeah. No, you don't wipe, worry about right? that. Dell, do you use baby wipes? You use baby wipes, right? <laughs> nah, I just use regular toilet Stop, wipes. man. You needed to use the baby wipes. What kind of life you living without baby wipes? I know Japan, they got the little spray shit that spray your booty, but... Oh, man. Um, where, where do we leave off? So we left off. We were trying to ask. We were trying to ask. Del oh no, we're talking about the, the question. The, well, we're talking about the Deltron thing, and then yeah. Del had a uh, uh, how Dan drop a deuce. Right. <laughs> um, the chemistry with you and Dan, man, did it, was that like immediate when you guys started making uh, Deltron Thirty Thirty? I think yeah, pretty much. I'm pretty open. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm pretty open to go anywhere you know what I mean like it's not it's not hard for me to work with people so he gave me a tape with some beats on it I went home listened to it, it was like next day it was like well, whenever the next time I seen him I was like okay just, just go let's go he like you sure like I got to shoot that was just the first thing I whipped up I'll do some more I was like nah these are cool let's go with this so I don't know he probably was surprised just by that I was like oh, okay he probably thought them beef was high or whatever, but he's like, oh, they don't like them more. We started here. That's pretty much how it started rolling. Again, a classically trained guy. He was a violinist at one particular point in his life and, uh, you know, kind of on the outside of what was the norm for hip-hop back then. So I would imagine, again, from a different side of counterculture, that that's why you guys have... Is that have the word the, of the day, counterculture? Well, I'm just saying, like, that's. <laughs> I think that's why the synergy worked for these two particular people, that's all. I think we both got a, a higher appreciation for music. You know what I'm saying? Him from, like, you know, he, he had a classical background with his studies or whatever. Me, I had, cause I had school too. I didn't stay in it because I didn't feel like they were teaching me shit. But um, I had a bit, lot of exposure to classical music. Like growing up, I went to go see a lot of classical music live. You know what I'm saying? So I had, I had an appreciation for music. Good music, period. It didn't have to be hip hop. Anything that sounded good to me, or I could appreciate it. So I think coming from there, it was just easier to work. With him and a lot of other artists that I've worked with, you know what I'm saying? It just be easier because I just appreciate good music. It don't have to be one way. Speaking of good music, there was a, another record that it's probably not fair to say, but I, I want to say it's accurate that it gave you just a jolt and, and, and we kind of rejuvenated you and, and put you back in the public eye, which is uh, the Clint Eastwood joint, which I want to say Dan was kind of instrumental in making that happen, the connection. He definitely was. He, he produced that song, I believe, and he put me on it. There, there is no way in hell at the time of you recording that verse did you know that that song was going to be as big as it was. I read it. time I had finished reading this book called How to Write a Hit Song. <laughs> and what I learned from that book, I put into doing that song. So I'm going to say that. I don't, 
I don't know if it's like I mean, it's probably is the biggest song that you're a part of, and I, and I know your cousin was always kind of joking, like he said, like you didn't like to make money, you kind of like make the music you wanted to make, but that song, that was a money maker. I mean, that song was it. That was one of the biggest songs in, in I think 2001 or 2000. I want to say 2001 was when it came out. It was a lot of reasons why that song became popular, but I think the artist drew the drew the cartoons mm-hmm. was probably the main reason why it blew up so much. Because without that, it'd have been just another good record. Yeah, but it was, you know what I'm saying. That record was so I think damn along, good. I think, along, I think along with the artwork, plus my lyrics, plus the music. You know what I'm saying? It sounded kind of cool. You know what I'm saying? It was different. It was it was a surprise. You know, it got to be a surprise for it to blow up like that. Because if it sound like everything else, it's not going to be a big hit like that. Absolutely. But it, I mean, it was a big hit, and I think. Um I mean, you, you could obviously attest to this, but I think it really gave you guys a, a shot in the arm. Like, it was like, here, Dell has yet another chance to kind of be a household name and, and, and be in the limelight. And you were a part of one of the biggest songs of that year. If you think so. Finally, someone let me out of my cage. Now, time for me is nothing because I'm counting no A's. Now, I couldn't be there. Now, you shouldn't be scared. I'm good at repairs, and I'm under each snare. Intangible. Bet you didn't think so. I command you to. Panoramic view. Look, I'll make it all manageable. Pick and choose. Sit and lose. All you different crews. Chicks and dudes. Who you think is really kicking tunes? Picture you getting down in a pigeon tube. Like you lit the fuse. You think it's fictional? Mystical? Maybe. Spiritual hero who appears in you to clear your view yeah. when you're too crazy. I don't, I don't see no individual. I don't see, you know what I'm saying? Like, people know the character that's in the song are gorillas, but only, you know that it's me, you know what I'm saying? There's people that know it's me, that are proud that it's me, and will brag to other people that don't know it's me, that it's me. But, Dale, let, let, let's break this down. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was in an English group called Blur. That's where the, the, the main concept yeah. of Gorillas came from. This was a, a group called Blur. He created yep, this They card. already sold millions of records on their own. Correct. He was already multi-millions. Absolutely. That. But he took a collective of the best hip-hop Vocalist, whether it was you, whether it was De La Soul. I mean, he created this concept. And I remember going to the show at uh, at the Apollo in Harlem. And I was blown away that the band was blacked out. Like they were behind oh, yeah. screens where they just uplit them and they were just blacked, uh, lighted. And you could only see the, the silhouettes. And the rappers were the only thing that were up front. Now, when I saw that and I said to myself, now, the band usually is the main part of the group. But yet he said the band is nothing. The group is these fucking MCs that made this thing come to life. I was blown away conceptually by what the Gorillaz was all about. Well, to me, I looked at it like this. Really, none of that shit is the group. The group is those characters, which is why I'm saying if it wasn't for that artist drawing those characters, that's the group. So to me, in my mind, I'm like, how can you even go on tour when they don't exist? They're cartoon characters. So that's the reason really? I didn't want to go on tour at first. Well, they, like, they used to be, but they were on the screen. Right. They, that's how they did it in the beginning. 
Oh, well, then, well, you see what I'm saying then. Yeah, but them, that's the group. Really. Socially, they were the group, but I think, like, seriously, like, conceptually, he was on some shit that no one even to this day gets. Yeah. I think, like I said, what's the dominant? Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. He's on, he's on, I'll be back. What do you say? He had to drop the deuce again. <laughs> 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 hey, Dom, what is that on his name again? I forgot. <laughs> Who? I didn't hear you. That tank girl in the gorilla. Oh, Jamie Hewitt. Jamie. Yeah, yeah. That's the whole reason why I was even interested in the project, because I know Jamie Hewitt from Tank Girl. You know what I'm saying? Because Tank Girl was one of my favorite comic books, an underground comic book. They even had like a Tank Girl movie. It flopped, but you know what I'm saying? Tank Girl was pretty popular. So when I seen them characters for Gorillas, you know what I'm saying? I was like, damn, that's Jamie Hewitt. I know that instantly you'll know if you're a fan of Jamie Hewitt. You can look at them characters and tell that he drew them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So for me, that was the whole draw. Anything else, I'm like, okay, that's cool. But you doing it, you doing that with these characters. Because he was always raw as fuck with them characters. Them characters but really pushed it to the next level. Like that video that they had, that video is phenomenal. But it wouldn't have been shit with just regular people doing the song. Not like it was with that animation. And that animation had them characters looking dead on his artwork. You know what I'm saying? Like it looked like he drew them characters for the video. Well, you said earlier that that you uh, it doesn't sound like you were compensated properly, or you're not getting the residuals for it. No, 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 I got, I got, I got, you know, I bought my house. I'm sitting in here now. With it. <laughs> I still get money from no, him. He, he, yeah, he got, oh. he got compensated. Okay, so. I, I was gonna say because I just don't see like the household name. Like I don't be walking through the mall and people be falling out. Like, oh my god, it's dude from Gorillas. Like no one knows who I am. Probably because his face wasn't on the thing. You yeah, know? yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. But it you, wasn't about but you have such a distinct voice that I think anyone in hip hop immediately knew. That knows my voice, yeah, yes. and that's what I was saying. Like, if you knew who I was, you would be bragging to other people. Like, I know who that is. That's Dill. Dill, who's Dill? See, you ain't, you don't know. You don't know nothing. Who's Dill? <laughs> who's Dill? Nah, never mind. You don't know. You don't know. You ain't nothing. No, who's Dill? I've never heard of Dill. I thought it was this gorilla guy. But hell, you know, the funky almost saying, nah, just shut up, dude. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's the type of shit that was happening. So any kind of residuals off of that, that's how I got it. It was from my fans hearing it and being like, I know that's Dill. That's Dill. I know that's Dill. Right. That's how I found out about it. You didn't see a spike, like, people over across the pond, like, the... the, the Tea sipping, crimping, eating dudes. Like, they were like, Who is Dell? I want to know more about Dell. Like, you didn't see. Nope. You really? Nope. I see. I find that crazy because I would think you, you suddenly now get on the radar of millions and millions of people that had no idea who you were. And they still didn't know. They still didn't have no idea who I was. They knew who Gorillas was. Yeah, I, I think that also because he was tour and he didn't do any of the press had a lot to do with why a lot of people didn't know who it was. You know, because they, they, their whole thing was trying to promote it as a virtual band. And so all the guests that they had on it, they weren't really like super promoting them as part of the, you know, featuring Dale the Funky Homo Sapien. It was like that was even the video. You know what I mean? And so I think that, yeah, you know, I think it, it had some effect. Them. 
it wasn't about that. And so I think, and, and also when they were doing all the press and they were doing like the Euro, Euro MTV Awards, Dell didn't participate in any of that. And if he would have, that probably would have been had a little bit more to do to getting his face and name out there because they were trying to get him out there to do it. Gotcha. You know, but I still think his his song was bigger than De La's Nana Cherry or anyone else. On it, the was. Album. It, it was easy. It was. That's the biggest song that they ever did. For sure. Easy. Ever and, did. and my daughter sees that to this day. She's a, she's just going into high school. Let me tell you, she looks at that video and is like, wow. I get it. Was it. Ahead of its time, so ahead of its time. She's an artist. She yeah. draws, and she just she fell in love with the whole concept. What's ahead of its time, though, with that? With what they did? Is well, what the I'm video. Well, here, here's what it is. We were in a braggadocious. I've seen Scooby Doo. Here's I've my Scooby Doo with music and Scooby Doo with okay. them running around with music. So here's my theory. At that particular okay. time in hip hop, I'm just gonna because I I related all to hip hop. At that particular time, it was a braggadocious space. Everyone was like, you know, talking me, me, me. I'm in the video, big lights. That was a particular time where artists were playing the background, and that rarely happens on something that big. So the music spoke before the artist spoke, and I just thought conceptually, that's how it hit me as a as a producer, as a DJ, as someone who loved music. It was conceptual before it was. Oh, it's this artist, and, and, and they're like, you know, putting them up all up in the video and bullshit. Because that was a time where, where, where music was oh, ridiculous. It was, it was all hype. Well, it was hype. Boom. It was bullshit. No, MTV never had a video never. like Clint Eastwood. Never. And Clint, and, and, and even they until, and into not, like, not, oh, not, no, like Clint Eastwood. Yeah, like, like Clint Eastwood. Like even like when, it, when, it, when they went into Stilo and all those other songs that they came out with. They were on some different shit, and it wasn't about focusing on the artist. It was about focusing on the music and the concept behind the music. So to me, it worked. It just did. It definitely did, yeah. Definitely did. I don't think it was made to be a pop hit, you know what I'm saying? I think both of them artists really admired each other's work, and they wanted to do something together. But I think they admired... they that's ad- how it works. They admire you too, and that's why you're on their fucking main cut. So props no, to you. I'm dude. on their I'm on their main cut because I'm on their main cut because Automator didn't like some rappers that was on there before. And he and figured props I could to Dan. That's why I'm on there. Yeah. That's why I'm on there. Because he figured I could do a job that's better. Well, who was on before I wanted you? Him take, was, I wanted uh, to take me home. Sci- I was gonna take me home. He was done doing he was done doing um Deltron. I was like, take me home, what? Wow. <laughs> he like, man, I know you could do it in like 30 minutes, 15 minutes, you know what I'm saying? So well, that's why I'm on there. Kudos to I Dan. never met the other group before. Yeah, they were a British group, but um, yeah, that, that was that's another thing. Dan always had a good vision of things, you know, whether it was with Keith or working with Prince Paul or, or you, LP. He, he always, you know, he, he saw things like way ahead, um, which brings me to this. Like, you... I know you were a huge, huge video game dude, and I know Kev. If Kev's tuning in right now, he's he's a huge video game guy. You um another Hello. thing ahead of you seem to be like really. I, I remember that one of your album covers you had like the Sega Dreamcast. You 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 were in like every yeah. video. It seemed like every every Tony Hawk, every extreme sports like snowboarding game. NBA you guys were on that soundtrack. Y- you were. I mean, I don't know how many homes you you have, but I gotta think you you, you did pretty well for all those video games that you appeared in. 
I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm yeah. doing okay. Nice. So then, uh, I'm, I'm not complaining. O'Shea comes to you. You don't go to him. Well, Q said that he's proud. Of, he said he's proud of me that I that I went and did it my way, and I didn't just try to follow up under him. I actually had my own vision and did it that way. Well, he's got to be proud because I know he wasn't the biggest. I don't know if he wasn't the biggest supporter, but, you know, he kind of let you do your own thing, but he wanted you to kind of go in a different direction. Not really. He didn't, he didn't want me to go in a different direction, really. He really was doing what I asked him, what I wanted to do. I didn't have not, I didn't have a problem with none of the shit that he was bringing up. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, like, I, li- I like music, good music, period. So the ideas he was coming up with, I wasn't opposed to that. Like, he was, he was building that off of knowing me. You know what I'm saying? Some of the raps on that album, the first album, some of them raps, he wrote for me. So that's how well he knew me, that he could even write a rap for me. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't like he was trying to force something on me, but he he was the type of hip-hop listener that was more like, I don't want to say mainstream, but somebody like Cool Keith, he didn't get it. Somebody like Guru from from Gangstar, he didn't get it. Like he's boring. Really? Dude, he's like monitor. I, I get that. Cool Keith is weird. Yeah, yeah. Cool Keith, I get. But he, he you mean to tell me Cube wouldn't get like a gang star? He didn't get gang star. He thought that he thought Google was born. I think at the end of the day, Cube was understood, commercialized hip hop. I think he was like the average listener. Like the average listener ain't gonna like that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like it's too out there. Like something like EPMD, he was a huge fan of EPMD. Of course I was too, who wouldn't be? But EPMD, public enemy, you know what I'm saying? That's the type of shit that he would fuck with, that everybody fuck with. This Mark, everybody, Big yeah. Daddy Kane, everybody fuck with him, you know what I'm saying? Like Cool Keith. Keith was too weird. Guru, same thing. What about groups like De La or or Tribe that I think you probably resonated more with than O'Shea or or Cube, brother? Um, Definitely. Those would be them type of groups that was a little more weird until until, um, until, uh, uh, Tribe came out with a second album. Because Tribe kind of thought about it with that second album why they came to low end theory. Yeah. You know what I mean? I hear you. Like, man. that was their motive. Like, okay, this is going to cross the border. Let fools know we ain't just some punk-ass flower dudes or whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so when uh, Common did the bitch in you, Ice Cube is like, who the fuck is this weirdo? No, I think he heard the comment. <laughs> he probably heard the comment of that, that, that dude that tried to rap like Dr. Sex. You know what I'm saying? Early That's on, That's probably yeah, how yeah. he looked at him. Wow. With, with, with the direction you decided to take... After I wish my brother George was here. So I'm kind of stepping back a little bit. If it wasn't for that choice and the uh, sound that you had for No Need for Alarm and then that dovetailed into the uh, Souls of Mischief album and the Casual album, do you feel that you guys are a direct reason for crews like Farside, Living Legends, AC Alone, MERS? No, I don't. Okay. Uh, The reason why I feel like that is I feel like we all built upon hip-hop and what we've seen hip-hop as to be. It's not like these, these ideas of ours came out of some kind of a vacuum or something, you know what I'm saying? So Farside had their version, you know what I'm saying? I had my version, you know what I'm saying? Like, even Fools in New York, like the boot camp click, they had their version, you know what I'm saying? Like, everybody had their version. They building off the Big Daddy Kane's, or they building off the Bismarckies, or the Beasties, or the Run DMCs, or whatever it was that we were privy to 
prior to that, we just built onto that legacy, I guess you could say. Like we just are continuing in that in, in that uh, direction. Just mm-hmm. like that's the way it's supposed to be in our minds, you know what I mean? So no, nah, I wouldn't say that I was a big influence on Far Side. I think that after we both came out and we seen each other and shit, I think after that we started being an influence on each other because we cool and we know each other. But prior to that, I can't say that I was an influence on them. Met them, ask them. I don't know. You had to be a huge influence on most of the people in the part of the indie movement. I'm talking about like people like Slug, LP, even Doom. When he came up with Doom, with all that shit, with the MF Doom shit, I actually was talking to him at the time. So he actually told me the whole plan about this shit. Well, I have to think you really have influenced people, not just with with the style and the sound, but like with the blueprint of of doing this whole thing independently. And I think, like I said, the LPs of the world, the slugs of the world, and even Doom before, you know, after obviously he did this whole, you know, uh, KMD thing. You had a you had a part in that, whether you realize it or not. I mean, I know for a fact that you did. At a certain point, you got to think, what can you do? Like, if you're not signed to a label, what you gonna give up? Because that's what that's what what it was with us. It's like, okay, what you gonna do? You gonna give up? You gonna keep going? So what what else is there? You know, what I'm saying like, if you gonna keep doing it, you gonna keep doing it, however you can make it happen. And I think that's that's really what it boiled down to is how you gonna make it happen. I, but I think you've displayed that since since your second album and on, you kind of done things your own way at your own pace. You've released albums for free. You've done collabs with people that you've wanted to do, whether it was Tame One or whether it was Automator. I mean, these are the decisions. No one put a gun to your head. This is what you decided to do. And I think what it did it is it allowed oh, yeah. it allowed people to know that that's okay. I can go and take a risk. I can make the music I want to make. You know, if I'm not making, uh, it, you know what I'm saying, and I, yeah, I, I think that is how you influence many people. Now, stylistically, and, and you know, I've also think you, you've influenced a lot of people as well. I mean, the Orcos of the world, all the way to like, you know, some other American mm. cats on the East Coast. I mean, you had a hand in and in, in, in raising them. You know what I'm saying? So uh, right. we don't want to touch too much on that because I know you're 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 a pretty humble dude, but I do think that you have had a lot of influence on a lot of people, especially everyone a part of that whole indie movement uh, that we had in the, in the mid to late '90s. You know? Well, yeah, we, I'll let you say because you yeah. probably well, I'm sure you have a better view of it. Damn right I do. Damn right I do. <laughs> Let me ask you this. I know it's very tough because every album you have is like your own child. But if you had to pick, which is your favorite album that, you, or, or I should say, the album you're most proud of? How about that? Um, the plugs I met, Benny the Butcher. Okay, and and Domino. Same same question for you, man. I, you, you threw me off there, man. I'm thinking you're gonna say maybe like both sides of the brain, or maybe even nah, nah, no need for alarm, with you, man. Um, yeah. um, um, no need for alarm, probably would be my favorite. Okay, you know? that's the right answer. I mean, <laughs> I would I would have bullshitted you if you would have said a different one. What's my favorite doll album? Yeah, that what's, you your, what's your favorite doll? Man, the potential third album which was Future Development mm-hmm. is a really, really dope piece of work. And, and when, you, when you consider that the song At The Helm from Third Eye Vision that we use at Third Eye Vision, the song Donuts from Third Eye Vision and Oakland Blackouts from Third Eye Vision were all Future Development songs. Wow. 
was supposed to be for future development that we kind of took and put and used for the higher album. That's probably, I'm very, you know, like, best I'm not sure because it never really came out in, in the form that it was supposed that we were recorded under. But I, I'm very proud of that record, that Dell record. I think it's very under, 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 underappreciated. You know, but you know, it was, it, we just put it out on our own. So you know, it, via cassette, you know, via mail order. Yeah, or, that, that was the not, start. Not a lot of people know about it. That was but. the start of the whole online thing. I remember Stinky was his name. Uh, Web yeah, dude, he's yeah. from Philly. I'm from Philly, so that's how I, I know that. Yeah. And that was, uh, yeah. you guys were kind of, again, ahead of the curve when it came to the whole online e-commerce thing. So uh, before we get out of here, I want to talk about High Road Day. But before we do that, I do have to ask this question. How did you appearing in the mid-90s come about? Was that something where Jonah just hit you up because he's a fan? Um, tell us about that. Pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, Jonah's a fan, and you know, basically, he wanted to get people that were important in that era, not just musically, but he also got a lot of skaters involved, like Chad Mustard in it, and and uh, there's a bunch of other dudes there, like two ninety skaters. Yep. So I think he just kind of wanted to, to you know, bring up people that he loved, and he's a big fan. Like he was like, man, I'm like, he was fan boarding out on them, you know. And, 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 you know, and so, yeah, I mean, it just happened. I got hit up by Mikey, who was a producer. Well, you know, he does stuff, and he's like a star. I don't think of his last name, but he, uh, he does stuff with, like, um, you know, all the, the um, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, you know, those cats. <laughs> why is drawing a blank? Because uh, they're huge. You know, the guys in their life are like, uh, all sweatshirt, all those cats. Um, Whatever, I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, he, he does a lot of videos with them. And, um, and he basically hit me up at Joe's request. And, um, and, and then we just connected it. And Dell, how, how long did that take you to uh, shoot those scenes? About two days. Yeah. Two days, wow. Well, well the first day, the first day, like, he was going to do something else. He just was in this kind of background scene. He was supposed to like, chase off this kid. And then... Um, they asked, at the end of the day, they were like, you know what, uh, can Dell stay till tomorrow? Can you stay an extra day? Jonah has an idea. And then the second day, we filmed the part that got used, and that, that was all script. All that was freestyle. Right. You know, and the dude, there was nothing that was all script. They just talked. Now, Dell, were you into, like, the whole World Industries Fresh Jive boom that was coming out of uh, California at that time? Yep. Yep, not not the same way that a skater would be because I didn't skate. I kicked it with everybody, basically. I want to say this just kind of to end this as far as Dell. You know, I always knew that you thought beyond the scope of average, and I know you try to stay away from anything that's basic. I mean, what was the most out there idea or concept that you've ever had, and did it ever come to fruition? Man, um... Nah, it didn't come to fruition. I mean, I got some out there shit. Have you ever heard this album called Polars by uh, what Andre? He got this TV show on um, on the Adult Swim channel. Hmm. Andre, so uh, Andre, Eric Andre, Eric Andre. So, yeah, yeah. He got an album out called Polars, right? Mm-hmm. That would be like the extent of what I, I would do. Ba 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 
But I would never put it out because the shit would not go nowhere. It's too fucking crazy. But he did it, though. So a lot of shit that's on there, I'm like, damn, I've made shit just like this. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll spend hours making shit like this, but I would never, like, not as no music, maybe a sound effects or something. But some people heard some of that shit and was like, damn, you do shit like this? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, man, you can work on sound effects and shit. This shit is amazing. Now, put out as a song, hell no. Nah. You know what I'm saying? But he did it, though. There's some, there's some Dale demos that are incredible that are out there. You know, but that is the shit that I came up with, though. That's what he asked me. No, yeah, the sickest shit. I've ever come up with. What was the hell of Can't Climb Trees thing? That would be the sickest thing. I'm talking about. Okay, so so on Blark, there's a song called I I I Work for Hell or something like that. The song is 12 minutes long. All it is. Is I've seen somebody describe it, and they said it sounds like just walking around with your phone on, and the microphone just picking up, it's shaking around in your pocket. So that's what it sounds like. But I know what he was doing. So it's a documentary. A sound, yeah. He kept on tweaking the sound until the sound just turned into just noise, and he just kept tweaking it, kept tweaking it, kept tweaking it until it just started forming into this noise for 12 minutes. Now, I've spent hours doing that same shit, just tweaking off sound. When is that unreleased Dinosaur Jr. album coming out? <laughs> oh, man. I ain't never did an album with Dinosaur Jr. That was, that, was, that was one of the pinnacle points, I think, in my career. Because I seen him go in the studio and do that whole shit while his band was in the other room playing pool or some shit. So I'm like, okay, dude actually is raw. Like, he played everything. I just sat there and watched it. That just made me see, like, okay, man, like, he know music, you know what I'm saying? And then he learned a lot from me, too, about hip-hop, hip-hop aesthetic, too. Sure. So it was like, I like I like that scene that we have right there. Yeah. Like, we both learned a lot from each other. Hey, I got a starting. MCs get caught it. Off the soft. Dinosaur Jr. will find his daughter for ya. But in places, they just, it's fat wages. I portray this. There was a lot of bad movies that had great albums. Yeah, but that, everyone, was, that was one of everyone them. makes fun of me on this on this show because I happen to love the Judgment Night soundtrack. Oh, no, it was good. Oh, you it's know, not it was that I, song. People were like, "Yo, that was your favorite." It's not that it was my favorite. It was a it was a particular place in time that resonated. That's a good album. It's a great that's album. That would be a shame. Though. It's good. It's good. Yeah, that was the beginning of a lot of shit. Like yeah, that album like, introduced a lot of shit. Of course. There's a lot of Dale and Jay Masters. Yeah, man. <laughs> it was uh They're like similar dudes, man. Yeah, I respect dude a lot, man. I I appreciated that he respected where I was coming from too. Nice. Before we uh, we head out of here, because we've been uh, we've been chatting for a minute, I really, really appreciate you guys giving us your time. Um, tell us about Hyro Day. I know you haven't really released the lineup yet, but at least let the listeners know, and even those that aren't familiar with Hyro Day that maybe are contemplating heading out to the Bay Area and having fun for a few days. What is it about? What can they expect this year? Man, I think Hyro Day is just Hyro, man. You know what I mean? It's like if you if you're down with the aesthetic of Hyro. That's what we try to bring to to the event. You know what I'm saying? Have a lot of you know similar similar type groups as far as you know the aesthetic, not just 
not just folks from our era, but even the newer group. And it's just kind of a way to give back, you know what I'm saying? Just to Oakland and just have it to where like everyone has a good time, man. The good vibes and, and, and good people and good music together, man. You know what I mean? And, and I think it's you know it's not like one of those pretentious ass festivals. You know, like a lot of bigger festivals where people don't even care about the lineup. People don't care about the group. They're just there to be able to have a good spot for themselves stuff and say that they were there. You know what I'm saying? We're all about, you know, it's kids friendly. It's really about bringing everyone together for the thing that we love, which is, you know, hip hop and, you know, the family, you know? That's really, that's how I, that's how I do. You know, my kids come, they're seven. I got seven-year-old twins. They come to high end. You know, and it's just like, you know, you know, lots of good food and great music and good vibes and almost and ninety nine percent chance it's gonna be hot because it always is every year. And so Are you able man. to give a little of the lineup or, or is that still undetermined? You know what, Hyrule Clippers is gonna be there. That's all <laughs> that matters really. Well by the time this comes out it'd be like a few days before the, the thing. But I, you know, I, I'm not sure what I, I, I think it's supposed to release any any moment, but I you know I just don't know. So I, I mean I, I know some of the groups, but I can't say. It's got to be done. You know, I don't want to like you know yeah. you know step on someone's toes who didn't dot their eyes and cross their T's, and then I get a call. You know. So well, we know from previous for years that you usually come with some heavy hitters, and, and it's always in the yeah. crew. So look, thank you guys, Dell man. Look. I'm going to keep it 100. If there's like an Oakland Mount Rushmore with like Ricky Henderson and MC Hammer and Gary Payton, you're, you're right there, my man. You're next to too short. You're, you're right there. All right. I appreciate it, man. All right. I appreciate everything you guys do. And, and Domino, like, like, like. Keep uh, the camera rolling. With 367, man, you, you definitely seem to be the glue that holds us all together. So keep doing what you're doing and keep archiving this shit. Because as much as Dell is doing all this stuff, there's no way he can remember everything. And you are the, the lifeline <laughs> to all this stuff. So you, you, you don't even realize the importance, both. Uh, on the boards and 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 basically archiving all these great moments and stuff. And Dell, keep keep making music the way you want to make it, man. Because uh, you've been an inspiration to to so many people and uh, decades upon decades of, of of hits. So keep doing your thing, man. We appreciate it here. For sure, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you. And you know, next time you know you guys are doing a you know a little another show and you be like you know resident hip hop expert, man. Feel free to hit me up, man. Uh, we love that. With, with the knowledge. <laughs> That's you know great. Thank you, guys. Thank man. you, bro. That's so I, good. I really appreciate it. You guys have a good night, man. I'm glad you gave you gave us almost like two hours of your time. It seems like so. Cool. Great. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. Thanks, man. Have appreciate a good night, guys. guys. Have a good one. Thank. You. Okay. Bye, Bye. All right. I'll talk to you later, B. You're listening to Take It Personal Radio. Keep it locked in and check out what the crew has in store. Go listen to all things Take It Personal by visiting TakeItPersonalRadio.com where you can check out the episodes, merch, and remixes by DJ360.